husband, send me on my way so I can go back to my homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I've served you and I'll be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favour in your eyes, please stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. He added, name your wages and I will pay them. Jacob said to him, you know how I've worked for you and how your livestock has fared under my care. The little you had before I came has increased greatly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now, when may I do something for my own household? What shall I give you, he asked. Don't give me anything, Jacob replied, but if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-coloured lamb and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages and my honesty will testify for me in the future. Whenever you check on the wages you've paid me, any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted or any lamb that is not dark-coloured, will be considered stolen. Agreed, said Laban, let it be as you have said. But that same day, and actually secretly, Laban removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted, and all the speckled or spotted female goats, all that had white on them, and all the dark-coloured lambs, and he placed them in the care of his sons, and then he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob, while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. Jacob, however, took fresh-cut branches from poplar, almond and plane trees, and made wide white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. Then he placed the peeled branches in all the watering troughs so that they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat and came to drink, they mated in front of the branches and they bore young that were streaked or speckled or spotted. Jacob set apart the young of the flock by themselves but made the rest face the streaked and dark-coloured animals that belonged to Laban. Thus he made separate flocks for himself and did not put them with Laban's animals. Whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would place the branches in the troughs in front of the animals so that they would mate near the branches. But if the animals were weak, he would not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban and the strong ones to Jacob. In this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and maidservants and men servants and camels and donkeys. Let's, uh, let's bow together in prayer.
Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word to us. Lord, we thank you for this word, uh, which peculiar as it is, Lord, we trust uh, it uh, reveals to us your will, your purposes, your character, your nature, uh, reveals to us the nature of our own lives. Lord, and we pray that as we think about these things this morning, that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit, uh, that you would encourage us, rebuke us, uh, and train us in righteousness so that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work by the Bible. Uh, Father, we ask all these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I don't know uh, if you've ever had the problem, uh, the problem that I have, which is where one day you're worse at something than another day. Uh, So you might have it in sport. One day you have an absolute blinder. You know, you just nail it. You, every pass you make, every goal you kick, uh, you're always in the right spot. It's just fantastic. The next week you turn up and you can't do anything. Uh, you can't kick the ball. You're in the wrong spot. Uh, you know, you, you can't read the play. You don't know what's going on. You're utterly u- useless. The, uh, the problem seems to afflict professional sports people all the time. Don Bradsman's skills famously eluded him in his last ever test match innings. He uh, got out for, was it nothing or, or not much at all? Footy teams often fail to fire. That's why we have upsets. We call them upsets because it's not expected to happen like that. We expect the good team to win and the bad team to lose. Uh, Or you might experience the same problem with something like reading. I don't know if you've ever sat down to read a book and you cane it. You just just make it through page after page and you're getting it. And then the next day you sit down and you're reading every sentence two times. And it's just like beating your head against the brick wall. Uh, I sometimes have it with the trombone. One day I play beautifully. I think to myself, move over, Christian Lindbergh. Here comes, here comes the new world famous trombonist. And then the next day, you can barely make a sound. And that's not an exaggeration. The next day, you can barely make a sound. You can't count, you can't do anything. And you rack your brain, you're trying to think to yourself, what's going on? What have I done? Why am I worse today? Whereas yesterday I was good. Am I overtired? Did I practice too long? What's what's going on? You see, no matter how much practice I put in, I can never guarantee that the trajectory is always up, that I'm always going to get better. And the same, I think, is true of the Christian life, the life of trusting and following Jesus. One day is great, and the next day is a catastrophe. One day we're living near to Christ, and the next day, we just seem so far away. One day, we're mindful of God and all that he's done and, and what it means to live for God. And the next day, we get to the end of the day and we think, goodness me, I've not even thought of God once in this entire day. And that's really the pattern of Jacob's life in these chapters, in these chapters that we're looking at this morning. We're going to go on and look at it a little bit more than we just read uh, later on, but Uh, If you've been here over the last couple of weeks, you might remember that God is training Jacob to be a man who trusts him. God said, I'm going to look after you, I'm going to bring you back, I'm going to do what I've promised. But Jacob's a rat bag and God is training and transforming Jacob into a man 
who knows God, who follows God and who trusts God. But as we see in these chapters, even though God has done some of that already, there's still a long way to go. There's still a lot that needs to happen in Jacob's life. Well, at the start of chapter 31 uh, that we read, uh, sorry, at the end of chapter 30 that we read, uh, the time has come Jacob feels to go his own way. He's worked for his father-in-law Laban for 14 years for the opportunity to marry his two daughters. He went for one, that didn't work out, he got cheated and he ended up marrying a second one. But now Jacob wants to return to his own family. But Laban, his father-in-law, is not keen to let him go because Laban has been dabbling in some divination and has found out that it's because of Jacob, it's because of Jacob's presence that Laban is doing so well, that he's so filthy rich. And so Laban pleads for Jacob to stay with him. And he even offers to Jacob a deal on his own terms. He says to Jacob, I want you to stay, name your price, let me know what it will cost for you to stay with me. I'll pay whatever it is. So Jacob makes Laban an offer. Jacob will keep uh, keep looking after Laban's flock, but he'll also take from Laban's herd all the speckled or spotted goats uh, and all the black lambs to create his own flock. It's like, sounds a little bit like a Dr. Seuss book at first, doesn't it? The speckled and spotted goats uh, and street uh, goats and the black lambs, all those kinds of things. But Jacob wants those ones to make his own flock from. Now, to understand what's going on, you need to know that normally in the uh, ancient Near East, the goats were black and the sheep were white. So if you got, by getting the spotted and the streaked and the speckled goats and the black lambs, Jacob was getting the abnormal or the rare coloured animals from from the herd. Well, Laban thinks that's a pretty good deal. Uh, And so he agrees to it. But he has his own plans. Laban is a cheater, just like Jacob is. And before Jacob can go through the flock and get out the speckled and spotted animals, Laban goes through, takes them all out, and ships them off with his sons to the other end uh, of the land, three days' journey away. Laban's sons take the uh, speckled and spotted ones three days' journey away, so that there's no prospect of Jacob, Jacob. Uh, flock mating with them to produce spotted and speckled animals. So Laban cheats Jacob in two ways, right? First, he steals all the sheep that should have belonged to Jacob, ships them off to somewhere else. And second of all, he leaves Jacob with the challenge of breeding speckled and spotted animals from a flock which is entirely normally coloured. Well, Jacob has a cunning plan, as always. His plan involves either a kind of folk magic or maybe just a kind of a common breeding practice uh, in his day. What he would do is he'd take some branches from trees, he'd tear off strips so that there were white stripes, uh, and he would put those striped things in front of the watering trough so that when the animals looked at them uh, and when the animals Uh, mated, they would look at them and they would produce striped offspring. Until, uh, even until fairly recently, some people believed that whatever an animal was looking at uh, would affect what the the kind of offspring that they bore. I think there was even a view, you know, among people, you know, that if you looked at a beautiful person uh, while conceiving, that your children would be beautiful. Uh, Evidently, that doesn't always work. 
Just saying. We know that Jacob's ploy is a ridiculous ploy, don't we? But as ridiculous as the ploy seems to be, the plan works. We're told in verse 43, In this way the man, that is Jacob, grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and maidservants and manservants and camels and donkeys. Jacob ends up a wealthy man. His, his flocks grow to this incredible size. It's stocked with good, strong uh, sheep and goats. He has this other plan to only put out these striped branches while the, uh, the strong goats are there. So he gets all the strong ones and Laban gets all the weak ones. But the point is that Jacob's plan, Jacob's ploy is a success. He's cheated by Laban for 14 years and now he finally gets the upper hand. He wins out. But notice that once again, Jacob has forgotten God. Once again, he's devised his cunning plan without reference to God. At the beginning of the chapter, he says to Laban, what you've got, you've got because God has blessed you, because I'm here. But now Jacob comes to make his own fortune and God has completely disappeared. Laban was rich because of God. Jacob wants to get rich off his own bat. But it's an easy enough thing to do, isn't it? You know that God has helped you in the past. You look back on your life, you see, yes, God has been with me. God has been faithful. God has been good. God has has done all these wonderful things for me. And yet when it comes to plan for the future, God gets so easily sidelined. You buy the book on how to build a successful business. And you believe that if you follow the steps, the business will grow. You spend countless hours researching and investigating the best investment or superannuation ideas. And you put your money in them and you believe that it's just a matter of time and the money will grow. You read all the websites talking about the latest uh, health guidelines, the latest dietary guidelines. And you think, all I have to do is just to feed Uh, myself to feed my children these things and everything will be okay. There won't be any problems. You look at other successful churches and what they've done and you think if, if we make that change, everyone will come flooding in and the gospel will have its effect. You buy the book on spiritual growth, you do the six steps and you wait for your life to change. And before you know it, the God who's been with you is the God who's been entirely forgotten, the God who's been sidelined, the God who's been cast aside as a kind of unnecessary accessory. an unnecessary accessory for your great schemes. Of course, the arrogance lies in thinking that we're so clever that we've worked the world out. I know how the world works. If I do this, that will happen. But today's best practice in sheep husbandry might be tomorrow's lunacy. How ridiculous. Who would put striped branches in front of the watering trough? 
Today's cutting-edge science might be overturned tomorrow. How ridiculous to think that Newtonian physics works at the subatomic level. (laughs) This has thought that for, for centuries. But it didn't work. Today's dietary guidelines might be tomorrow's cause of high rates of cancer. Eat more red meat. It's good for you. You need the iron. Don't eat too much red meat because it's carcinogenic in large quantities. Today's best church growth schemes might be tomorrow's examples of what not to do. Don't do that. Your church will shrink. But they said last year that that's exactly what I should do. We think we're so clever that we've worked the world out. It's not that we shouldn't follow the best practice. We should. Of course we should. God gives us brains to try and think about the world and to try and work things out and to put things into practice. The problem is when we begin to think that our strategies and our schemes are infallible and we trust in those rather than trusting God. It's when we forget about God. Like Jacob, we easily fall into the trap of trying to make our own way in the world without God. Well, Jacob's plans, plan works and he becomes a success. Uh, but in the next section that we're going to read, uh, it becomes clear that it's not Jacob's cunning plan that works, but it's God's great kindness uh, which brings about uh, Jacob's success. So let's uh, keep reading a little bit more from chapter 31, from chapter 31 and verse 1. Uh, where it says, Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father, which was true. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been, funnily enough. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. So Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah to come out of the fields where his flocks were. He said to them, I see that your father's attitude toward me is not what it was before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know how I've worked for your father with all my strength, that your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said, the speckled ones will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And if he said, the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. In the breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled or spotted. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. Then Rachel and Leah replied, Do we still have any share in the inheritance of our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, but he has used up what was paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever God has told you. Jacob's success causes conflict. His brothers-in-law think that he's cheating Laban. But Jacob says that unlike the previous times, 
He hasn't done any cheating. If anyone was cheating, it was Laban. Laban was changing the terms of the deal. It's not the speckled ones that you get, it's the spotted ones. But it's not exactly true. Jacob has deliberately been trying to breed the best sheep for himself and the worst sheep for Laban. They're both trying to cheat each other. But now it seems that Jacob recognises that his success is the work of God. He says in verse 8, he talks about this dream. In the breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and I saw that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled or spotted. It turns out that Jacob has this dream and the dream is very simple. In it, Jacob sees that all the goats, the male goats in the flock were streaked, speckled or spotted. Now that seems a little bit strange given that uh, in the last chapter, back in verse 35, we're told that Laban had taken out, he'd specifically removed all the male goats that were streaked, speckled or spotted. Uh, So what's going on? I take it to mean that God is saying to Jacob that all the male goats that he was left with are goats that will produce streaked, uh, speckled or spotted offspring. That is, um, if you know anything about modern genetics, you know that there are some genes that are dominant genes and some genes that are recessive genes, right? So an animal can look plain, but it can actually carry the gene for being spotted, speckled or spotted, streaked or whatever it is. Uh, and so two plain coloured animals can, uh, can mate and produce speckled offspring. And I take it to mean that what, what uh, God was doing is, is saying that in this flock of Jacob, there's an abnormally high proportion of male goats, all of them, who carry this gene for being spotted, speckled uh, and streaked. In other words, in other words God is making sure that Jacob wins out. Jacob has this cunning plan for using the striped bark and all this kind of stuff. But God is doing something else. There's other things. There's things going on that we don't understand and that Jacob doesn't understand. God is making sure that uh, the the animals that are born out of Jacob's flock uh, are of the kind that Jacob needs, the spotted, speckled and streaked ones. It was not a fluke that Jacob bested Laban. It was God's plan and God's design. Jacob thought his folk magic, his best practice sheep husbandry was working. But it turns out that God was blessing him. And of course, who else could it have been that was blessing Jacob? God took Jacob's crackpot scheme and he made it work even when Jacob was ignoring God. God took Jacob's crackpot scheme and made a success of it. And God can still take our crackpot schemes and make them work. He can take our ill-judged, ill-considered ideas, our hastily constructed ideas, our ideas formed out of ignorance, Our ideas formed out of prejudice. He can take all our crackpot schemes and even make those work. He can take our clever schemes and make them work. 
And in fact, if he doesn't take our clever schemes and make them work, they won't work at all. We can take all the science that we like in the world, we can take all the best practices, we can read all the great books, but unless God makes those things work, they won't work. What a relief it is to know that God is the one who makes things succeed or fail. It means that what we can do is do what we think is best and then leave the rest to God. We can't know what tomorrow's science will be. We can only live on the basis of what we know today. And we faithfully do it and we trust that God will watch over us and in God's wisdom, what we do will succeed or fail. We cannot stress because the success or failure of our plans belongs to God and he's smarter and he's more powerful than us. If he can make even Jacob's dodgy science work, he can make your crackpot scheme work as well. That's why Jacob should have dealt with God rather than dealing with magic or with scientific best practice. Because God is the one who's responsible. God is the one who does it. He should have applied his best scientific sheep husbandry skills and dealt with God at the same time. And that's exactly what we need to do. Do the best we can and deal with God. And then trust that it's not the quality of our work that makes us succeed nor the poverty of our schemes that makes them fail, but the sovereign purpose of God who stands behind them both. Jacob devises a cunning but ridiculous plan to make himself rich, and it works, even though he forgets God. It works because God is a a powerful God, and God is a generous, uh, providing God. But again, Jacob's plans like in the past, lead him to flee. 20 years ago, he'd had to flee from his own family because his brother Esau wanted to kill him. And now he has to flee from his father-in-law because uh, he's uh, been a little bit dodgy. Now, we'll read on a little bit more from chapter 31, from verse uh, 17, where it says, Then Jacob put his children and his wives on camels, and he drove all his livestock ahead of him along with all the goods he had accumulated in Paddan Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban the Aramean by not telling him he was running away. So he fled with all he had, and crossing the river, he headed for the hill country of Gilead. On the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. Taking his relatives with him, he pursued Jacob for seven days and caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. Then God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream at night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country of Gilead when Laban overtook him, and Laban and his relatives camped there too. Then Laban said to Jacob, What have you done? You've deceived me and you've carried off my daughters like captives in war. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why didn't you tell me so I could send you away with joy and singing to the music of tambourines and harps? 
You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. You have done a foolish thing. I have the power to harm you. But last night the God of your father said to me, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now you have gone off because you longed to return to your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered Laban, I was afraid because I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. But if you find anyone who has your gods, he shall not live. In the presence of our relatives, see for yourself whether there is anything of yours here with me. And if so, take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the gods. So so Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two maidservants, but he found nothing. After he came out of Leah's tent, he entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them inside her camel's saddle and was sitting on them. Laban searched through everything in the tent but found nothing. Rachel said to her father, Don't be angry, my lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence. I'm having my period. So he searched but could not find the household gods. Jacob was angry and took Laban to task. What is my crime, he asked Laban. What sin have I committed that you hunt me down? Now that you have searched through all my goods, what have you found that belongs to your household? Put it here in front of your relatives and mine and let them judge between the two of us. I've been with you for 20 years now. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself. And you demanded payment from me for whatever was stolen by day or night. This was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime and the cold at night. And sheep fled from my eyes. Sleep fled from from my eyes. It was like this for the 20 years I was in your household. I worked for you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks. And you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty handed. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands. And last night he rebuked you. Laban answered Jacob, the women are my daughters, the children are my children and the flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine. Yet what can I do today about these daughters of mine or about the children they have borne? Come now, let's make a covenant, you and I, and let it serve as a witness between us. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. He said to his relatives, gather some stones. So they took stones and piled them in a heap and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sahadutha uh, and Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. That is why it was called Galid. It was also called Mizpah because he said, May the Lord keep watch between you and me when we are away from each other. If you mistreat my daughters or if you take any wives beside my daughters, even though no one is with us, remember that God is a witness between you and me. Laban also said to Jacob, Here is this heap and here is this pillar I have set up between you and me. This heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness that I will not go past this heap to your side to harm you and that you will not go past this heap and my pillar to my side to harm me. May the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father judge between us. So Jacob took an oath in the name of the fear of his father Isaac. He offered a sacrifice there in the hill country and invited his relatives to a meal. 
After they had eaten, they spent the night there. Early the next morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then he left and returned home. There's a lot of things that you could say about that section, but let me just say two things. First, Jacob's life is still a mess. He's running away secretly from his father-in-law. One of his two wives is stealing household gods and hiding them in her saddle and lying to her father. His life is still in a mess. The second thing is, even though Jacob's life is in a mess, God is still doing what he's promised. In verse 42, Jacob says to Laban, If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands, and last night he rebuked you. Back at Bethel during that dream of the stairway leading to God, God had promised to be with Jacob and to bring him back. And now Jacob acknowledges that through that 20 years with Laban, God had been with him and God was bringing him back home. God had promised Jacob all those things and God was keeping his end of the bargain. Jacob in these last few chapters has shown himself to be a man of such unsteady spiritual quality. He vows to God that God will be his God and then he forgets about God. He chooses his own wife and ends up marrying two wives instead of one. He can at times times credit God with generosity and blessing. He says to Laban, all that you have is because God has blessed me. But then he can still try and build his own flocks without reference to God. God calls him to leave Laban and to go home. And when he does it, he does it deceitfully. He sneaks away. And he causes yet another family conflict. And yet in the midst of that, he can testify again to God's faithfulness and God's power and how God keeps his promise. Despite Jacob's unsteadiness, God is faithful. You see, all through these chapters, all through Jacob's mess and muck, God is steady. And God is faithful. And it's a precious reminder that God's promises in our lives don't depend on our steadiness or the quality of our faith or on our dependability. God's promises depend on his steadiness, his faithfulness, his dependability. I find that an immensely encouraging prospect Because I know that I'm a person and I presume that you perhaps are the same as well, that I'm a person of vast spiritual unsteadiness. That like with the trombone, one day is a good day and the next is poor. 
I know that I'm a person prone to deep bouts of melancholy and discouragement and depression because I find it so hard to trust God. God says, I'll be faithful. And I think, but what if this happens? What if the sky falls in? I find it so hard to trust God. And like for Jacob, that makes life miserable and painful. But how endlessly encouraging it is to know that God's promises in the gospel, the promises of forgiveness and eternal life and knowing him, how encouraging to know that those things don't depend on the steadiness of our faith, on the quality of our faith, but on the certainty of God's compassion, on the certainty of God's mercy, on the certainty of God's faithfulness. It's faith the size of a mustard seed that saves Because it's not the size of the mustard seed that counts, but it's the size of the God who makes it grow. It's that which is the defining characteristic. I often say to people, it's so remarkable that we're saved by faith because the Christian life is a life of growing in faith. It's a life of growing in trust. We don't start off at 100% trust. We start off at trust of 0.0000001%. We have enough faith to come to God and say, God, I know that you're going to do it. I have no idea uh, how that's going to work out, but I know that Christ is the one. And over 50 years, God trains us to be people of faith, people who actually genuinely believe him and seek him and trust him, people who don't build our own flocks in our own ways with our own cunning schemes, but people who do the best we can and trust and seek and plead with God every day of our lives. And when we don't know how it's going to work out, we say, I don't know how this is going to work out, God, but I know that you're faithful. Are we only saved on the days that our faith is strong and then utterly lost and damned to hell on the days that our faith is weak so that we desperately hope that the day that we die is a good day and not a bad day? No, we're not saved by the quality of our faith or the steadiness of our resolve or the steadiness of our Christian life, we're, set, we're saved by setting our hope on God himself, on the unwavering constancy of God's purposes in Jesus Christ. Jacob was a man of unsteady faith, and yet despite his unsteadiness, God was a God of faithfulness. What an encouragement that is to those of us who share Jacob's unsteady faith that God is patient and kind. What a great encouragement it is to know that what matters is not our faith, the quality of our faith, but the quality of the God that we trust, however much we might waver. Let me pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that uh, your power is greater than our weakness uh, and your faithfulness is greater than our unfaithfulness. 
Lord, we confess that even those who have turned to you in faith uh, and put our trust in Jesus Christ, we know that our lives are lives which are up and down. That one day we hope with all our hearts in the gospel. Uh, And the next day, Lord, you are a stranger to us. Uh, And we live almost entirely without reference to you. Lord, forgive us for that. Forgive us for our inconstancy, for our unsteadiness, for our unbelief. Forgive us that we fail to trust when you say, I am good, that we can't believe you. Lord, forgive us that when you say that you will forgive us, that we find it so hard to trust that. That when you say that whoever believes in Jesus will live even though he dies, that we find that so hard to believe. That when we face the uncertainties of the world, a world beset by violence and persecution and sickness and sorrow and hardship and frustration and uncertainty, forgive us that we can't believe that you are more powerful than all those things. And that we can't believe you that one day you will triumph. And that we can't trust it even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That you are with us. That you are with us not only at the end, but all the journey through as well. Lord, help us to be people of faith. Train us as you trained Jacob. To be people who trust not in ourselves and our cunning plans, but in your steadiness, your faithfulness, the certainty of your character and of your promises. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.